Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. All right, tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, we have moved on to the ministry of Elisha, who replaced Elijah, who was called up in heaven to be at the Lord. We left off last week where Elisha asked for the double portion of the Spirit of God that was on Elijah to be on him, and it was confirmed that it was. So he got the upgrade, the greatest prophet of all time that we see in the Old Testament, was amazing. Elijah and Elisha said, I actually want a double of that. God gave it to him. And so now Elisha is beginning his ministry and the Lord is so with him, with his spirit, with his power. He's an incredible man of faith and he's going to be a feature for us for at least a few more weeks as we go through 2 Kings. So as we come to chapter 4, we have an interesting situation where he comes into a financial economic need of a desperate woman and As events unfold, we get great insight that really, I think, minister to a lot of people on planet Earth in November of 2022. So let's get into it. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So, verse 5, she went out from him shut the door behind her and her sons who bought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. It's a fascinating story, of course, where God supernaturally intervenes to help this woman in a desperate financial situation to not only find relief from her debt, but even to find financial foundation for going forward in her future. It's a great story. But let's think about the characters in this story. This story, it's very human. It's very raw and human when you think about it. So there's a woman who's a widow. She's essentially a pastor's wife. This woman had served the Lord. She said of her husband, you know that your servant feared the Lord. Her husband feared the Lord. Now, in our day and age, husbands in ministry, husbands in general, they can they get a job. That's their main asset. Is your, your best asset is your monthly income. They can get insurance policies, especially these younger millennials and Zs and stuff. When they, they go out and get a life insurance policy for like $40, $50 a month, get a quarter million, half million for the wife and for the kids. So there's security and safety for them. So they step into eternity for whatever reason. 
that the, the widow, the wife left behind, had something to work with with the mortgage, to pay off debts and creditors, stuff like that. So we can relate to that. And by the way, that's good common sense, men. If you don't know that, you should know that. I literally asked my wife yesterday when something came up, I said, they do have life insurance, right? And she said, yes, they do. So that's a good thing. I have to tell you, in ministry, many times as a pastor ministering to people where loved ones have moved on, I've been stunned and shocked to find where men who made anywhere from six to ten grand a month did not have life insurance policies that would have cost 50 a month to make sure their wives and children were taken care of when they stepped into eternity. And they left them behind with debt and without financial assistance. And I've really been stunned because there's people that have done that that are really smart and common sense people that the body of Christ picked up the pieces and their wives are left hanging and their kids are left hanging. So just a quick exhortation. We don't live in this time. We live in a better time. And I think for anyone listening to me in Jesus' name who's a man, if you have kids, you should have life insurance policy. If you're married, you should have a life insurance policy. And if you say, I don't have enough money, well, you have enough money for your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance or your car insurance, which you should definitely have. And you do that. It's just good common sense. As poor as I've ever been throughout ministry in different times, we always had to have a plan for my wife, for me to step into eternity and to provide for our kids. I've outlived one of my life insurance policies. I still have one of them, and it's going to go for a while, as does my wife. It's just good common sense. But this is a different time and a different place. So there was probably no opportunity for a life insurance policy to bail her out. I thought this thing, I thought, did she own this house? Because she has a roof over her head, right? Like, when you look at this passage, you should think about these things. So she has creditors, all right. She has a roof over her head. She has two sons. Smart people are a great asset. Bright ideas are considered by the richest people the best assets on planet Earth. All these tech companies that, you know, go high and low on the stock market that don't make anything, they're really based upon ideas that people have, and they buy the people, and they buy the ideas, and think those ideas might play out later on. And, of course, we know even the king of Sodom, when Abraham brought back the people of Sodom, the the king said, you can keep all the goods, give me the people. Because he knew the people had the ingenuity to make things, and the people had the ability to make things, and there's wealth in people. Abraham said, you can keep it all. I don't want you to say you made me anything. God makes Abraham everything he is. But in this case, there's two sons, young sons, and so they could, you know, they could do work. They could do all kinds of things. And so the creditor looks at them and sees assets, wealth, people, two human beings that can work for him to get his money back. But did the woman, like, did she own the property? Is she a renter or is she an owner? I don't know. The, the, the text doesn't make it clear. It all gets left behind anyways when you step into eternity. But she has what a lot of people have in 2022, creditors. (laughs) She had creditors. Her husband, between her husband and herself, they were left with debt. Now, there's debt that can come upon you, and a lot of the world has debt just because it comes upon them. In the body of Christ, in America, there's a lot of bad debt because people don't live within their means, and they presume God's going to give them something he hasn't promised tomorrow. And if you're Debt-to-income ratio shows that you step into eternity, you owe debt, and you leave debt behind in your name for other people. You want to fix that as soon as you can. That's not a good witness to put your debt on someone else. One of the hardest things to watch in ministry is when people step into eternity, and there's no money to even bury them, and there's actually debt. There's already a grieving and sorrow and heartache, and now you have stress because there's a financial burden because it costs thousands of dollars to bury someone even under the cheapest circumstances. It is a difficult situation. 
The husband's dead. He served the Lord. He loved the Lord. She's like a pastor's wife. She's got two sons and she's got debt. She cannot pay. So this is something I think we can all make relate to. This is a very real situation in the human experience that we might relate to. I certainly can. I've seen this happen many times. So she's desperate. That's the point. It's a desperate situation. So she goes to the man of God, the prophet, Elisha, the the lead pastor of all the pastors, if you will, and says, please help. In fact, it says she cried out to him, to Elisha. Now, in this story, in the first couple of verses, the first verse, we see the woman who's a widow, her two sons, Elisha, and the creditor. See that? These are the people involved right here. Creditor, the woman, the widow, Elisha, and the two sons. In this story, there are givers and takers, as there is in life. Everyone on planet Earth can... I said this Tuesday night, I'll say it again, I've been saying it a lot. We all fall into one of two categories. We're givers or we're takers. We either see opportunity to use the Lord to bless others and give and sow bountifully and reap bountifully for all eternity, or we're fearful that someone's going to take something from us, and so we take it from them, and we have to, we're insecure, and you have to hold on to this and grab that and take that. Givers and takers. I want to make sure we're givers. God's a giver, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God's, the, Jesus loves the church so much, he gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God so loves the church, he gives gifts to all men to serve him, women and men, to serve him in his church. God's a giver. The father laid, the, the son laid down his life for us. We're told that we love him because he first loved us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is a giver. He made the universe. He gave us life. He has a call and a purpose on our lives. He's created us with, with divine design and purpose. He's redeemed us through the blood of his son. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. He gave us the, he gave us the double portion. He gave us forgiveness in his son and the righteousness of his son on the cross of Jesus Christ. God is a giver, and when someone says they've come to Christ, that work of the Spirit of God in their life should make them a giver. No matter how much you were a taker before you come to Christ, if you confess Jesus Christ and you're a taker, you should look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I truly saved? Because God is a giver, and we become like Christ, and we're being transformed daily through his word and by his spirit. And as that happens, we're going to forgive as we've been forgiven. We're going to show mercy as we've received mercy. We're going to be empathetic as the Lord has been empathetic with us. And we're going to trust in the Lord as one who provides for us so we don't have to fight and cheat and sneal and connive and shuffle defeat to keep what we have or to attain what we have. We can trust in the Lord Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you see. So this is a key thing. In this story, there's givers and takers. There's a creditor. Now the creditor, this is in Israel. So this is a man or a woman with wealth, a lot of wealth. Obviously, a debt collector. Now, if they just read the Ten Commandments, if they just read the, the Law of Moses, they would see this as an opportunity of a blessing. Because let me tell you something. If you want a blessing, I'm going to tell you where it is. Bless the widows of pastors. You want to be blessed? I'll tell you something. Two years ago, the Lord put my heart to bless pastors' wives who are left behind without funds. 
we did, and in those two years, God's given us a million dollars, and almost a half million has gone into missions through this church. You want to be blessed? Bless those people who have given their lives a service to the Lord and have nothing on this day. When you bless those people, God will bless you. You can never outgive God, and he will bless you, WG, body of Christ. The man, the creditor, this is a great opportunity, a defining moment in his life to do the right thing and, and be empathetic and have the heart of God, to have the heart of Jehovah, have the heart of the God who gave his law, the, the, the God who promised his son to come, the God who blesses his people to be the head, not the tail. He had the opportunity to show mercy to the woman who is a pastor's wife, grieving the loss of her godly husband with two sons. He had the opportunity to bless her and release her of that debt. He had the opportunity to even relieve the debt and maybe help the kids, maybe disciple them and encourage them to be men that are productive and prosperous and show up for work on time with a good attitude and do the job and seal the fruit. This creditor could have been all that, but he wasn't a giver. He was a taker. Instead of being defined for us in the word of God as a man or a woman who was a giver in this key moment. No, in this moment, they're a taker. A woman who's grieving the loss of her godly husband, raising two boys on her own now, now has to worry about the creditor in Israel coming to take her boys from her. What could be more low than going after a widow's kids? What could be more sinister, more evil, and more diabolical than coming after the two sons of a woman whose husband has died and a woman whose husband loved the Lord and a woman whose husband together had served the Lord in a difficult time under the reign of Ahab and his sons. We're all going to be defined before the throne of God by what kind of people we are. This creditor is defined as the one bad person in this story. I've said this many times about being, getting stuff and suing people and doing things. You might win in the court of men, even the court of public opinion, and you might win in a court of law when you're going after certain things, but you might lose in eternity. When we can make everything that we are the Lord's, we're going to be a giver. And we're going to know that the Lord has our back. I don't like the creditor in verse 1. I don't like him at all. Because I've ministered to women in this situation. I've ministered to boys in this situation. I just did a memorial for a widow with two sons on Wednesday at Calvary Costa Mesa. I know this situation in real time, and some of you do too. But yet human beings are like this, so what are you going to do? But God intervenes. And so there's this vessel of, this jar of oil, like olive oil, something of that sort, There are neighbors with empty vessels as well. And the neighbors become the heroes in this story because the neighbors, they give the woman what she needs. She couldn't do this on her own. This was a collective effort. She did not have the vessels she needed to be filled to relieve the debt and even get on firm financial uh, ground. She needed help. And of course, in the human experience, we're designed to be interrelative, relational, connective, 
The body of Christ, the church is literally referred to as a body, Christ being our head. We understand that. We're tribal. The human experience is meant to be shared. We have vertical relationship with God, horizontal relationship with our spouses and our immediate family of our spouses and our children and the promises and blessings that go with that. We have our parents above us as we get older. We have our adult siblings beside us. In many cases, we get older. We have nieces and nephews and kids and grandchildren, and we have all this immediate and extended family. And in the body of Christ, we have our community. We have those leaders that God's put over us, the women that God has put over the, the women, and as they serve together and all the things that we do, the godly men and godly women in the body of Christ. And the gifts that God gives us to build up this family. And this church family becomes even in some ways greater than the earthly family. Although God has blessed the earthly family with his structure and his design. But the heavenly family brings us together. And here tonight we become brothers and sisters in Christ under the head who is Christ. And we are joint heirs with Christ adopted into his kingdom. And we're sharing the human experience. So we have this immediate family. Maybe we'll see for Thanksgiving that we share the journey with. With the Lord or without the Lord. Because you can choose your friends, but you don't choose your family. But then we have the, the family of God, the body of Christ, where we're together and we're sharing this journey and we're going from glory to glory. And we're meant to be this way. And so there are many wonderful, benevolent things that human beings will do in the name of a sport, in the name of a community, in disaster relief and things like that, in the name of world religions, in the name of, human, of uh, even humanism, if you will. Human beings can be very empathetic and compassionate at times and do stuff for one another. But ultimately for us, what we do comes from Christ and is for Christ. And we have eternal reward and treasure in that when we do that as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we do in secret, the Father will indeed reward us openly. If not in time, certainly for all eternity. And of that we can be certain. And these neighbors, they... They provided these vessels that turned the tide in this whole story. The creditor comes to take, the neighbors opened their doors and gave, and that is noteworthy. And in the middle, we have the supernatural of God providing through Elisha for the woman and her sons with a happy ending. I have no title for this topic, this text tonight. I tried to think of a title. Get after it works, but I, I want to call every study to get after it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's my go-to. Like, hey, we'll call this study, get after it. Okay, so let's call it get after it. All right, so this is get after it. So think about this. All right, now, four things, having covered the context and thinking about, are we the creditors? Or maybe we're the, the widow and the kids in distress? Or maybe we're the neighbors? Let's get after it. So first thing we see is the very beginning where the miracle happens and where the relief comes. It says in verse 2, she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And this is beautiful because this reminds us that the Lord always begins with who we are, where we are, and what we are and what we have. Isn't that wonderful to know? It truly is like those old malls of the 70s. When you're in the mall and you walk up, it's like, you are here in a little thing by Macy's, and you're trying to find Foot Locker, and it's, oh, it's over here. And you are here is where it always begins with the Lord. Those people that went forward at the Harvest Crusade last week, the moment they went forward and they stood there, if they were truly passing from death to life, giving their life to Christ, their world was one way before they went to the stadium, and when they walked away from that stadium, having been prayed for and encouraged and given tools to be fruitful and successful with the Lord, you are here. This is where it begins. The journey begins here. 
And when we think about the context of financial difficulties, it always begins here. I'm so glad the Lord doesn't leave us in the situations that we make for ourselves before Christ and even after Christ. Aren't you glad that the Lord is gracious and merciful and he delivers us and he meets us where we're at? But the key in this story is you do want to be all in. This woman, in crying out to Elijah, her life had been serving the Lord with her husband in a difficult time under a difficult administration. And now she's got the grief of being a widow and the fear of her sons being taken from her. She's all in with the Lord. She's cried out to the man of God. She's all in. And her, her, her way forward from total economic despair begins with what she has right then and there. And this is the key for people rebuilding their lives from financial disaster or just getting out of a, a rut financially is that once what we have all belongs to the Lord, then the Lord can take ownership of it. And our God is a God of addition, subtraction, and multiplication. God adds, he subtracts, and he multiplies. But ultimately, all that he does in time, space, and matter with finances, and there's actually as much or more in the Bible on finances than salvation itself, is the lessons to learn with the stewardship of these things through faith in Jesus, through the promises of God, not for the accumulation of things to get left behind, but for the preparation of the heart for where we're going. See, financial stewardship is so crucial in our lives because it is preparing us for eternity and what God wants to do with us in eternity. And if we can learn to be faithful with the finances in time and fruitful and bountiful, then we'll be trusted with so much more in eternity. The parable of the minas and many other stories teach us this in the Bible, that the stewardship that comes from being faithful with our finances is a stewardship that transcends dimension for what God wants to do in eternity. Now, it starts with where we're at and what we have. I have bought gas with pennies late at night when no one's looking. Everyone at least once in their life should have to buy gas with pennies. You'll never forget what it's like to buy gas with pennies. You do it at night because you don't want other people standing behind you, you know, and you're counting pennies. And 100 pennies takes up a lot of space, right? So you do like 11 at night and you count pennies. Everyone should have to work a minimum wage job at least once in their life. I did at 34. The age of 34 was the year I worked for $4 an hour, which was minimum wage uh, in, at the church and hotel there in Burlington, Vermont. Everyone should have to work with immigrants who don't speak English at least once in their life to appreciate what it's like to come from a land of no opportunity to a land of opportunity. I didn't like them at all that much that year in Vermont. They were Eastern European women, Slavic, with Slavic languages. And the reason I didn't like it is because they told me what to do. Because maid servants were slightly higher than room service in the Sheraton. And for Joy Brandon, where the whole world revolved around me being, you know, the Hall of Fame pro surfer, it was quite humbling to have these uh, Eastern Euro-Slavic women tell me to pick up the coffee cup with the cigarette butts in it. I just didn't like it. But everyone should have to do something like that. We should know what it's like to be this woman 
And Paul said, I've learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he learned that whether he had much or little, he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. And the beauty of buying gas with pennies and working for foreigners who speak different languages and motion to you what to do is you learn to value and appreciate all humanity, all the blessings God has done and all that he is doing in your life as opposed to what he's not doing in your life. You get the right perspective, you get the kingdom perspective, and you learn to treat humanity the way it should be treated, with dignity and respect. And you learn to love humanity the way God sees them, with the sacrifice of a Savior. Financial hardship is difficult. It says in Proverbs, this, the rich and the poor have in common, the Lord made them both. Financial hardship can be self-induced, with sheer folly and lack of discipline, financial hardship can come because of theft, like what happened to Job. And financial hardship can just come because it rains on the just and the unjust, and good things happen to good and bad people, and bad things happen to good and bad people. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.